This is Texan Overtime, a daily Texan podcast dedicated to everything and anything Longhorn Sports. I'm sports editor Carter Yates. In this episode of Texan Overtime, we're documenting what Chris Beard has done through the transfer portal and an off-season practice since arriving on the 40 acres as the new head coach of Texas basketball. Let's meet the rest of the team. Hey, I'm Nathan. I'm the Texan Associate Sports Editor, and I covered Texas men's basketball last year. Hi, I'm Matthew. I'm a senior sports writer for Daily Texan, and I also covered men's basketball last semester. Thanks for being here today. Let's get into it. First thing I wanted to talk about, let's rewind back to when Chris Beard first got hired. Back in April, it was, I believe. He had a couple challenges when he first signed on as the Texas coach, namely the roster was very uncertain. There was a lot of controversy with the Texas Tech fan base. So what challenges did Chris Beard face when he took over the job at UT? And what has he done to remedy those problems and try to fix them? Chris Beard, he kind of faced an entire roster overhaul because you look at how the season ended with Texas bouncing early and numerous guys going to the um, NBA, Greg Brown, Kai Jones, Jericho Sims, Matt Coleman, all gone. It looked like only Brock Cunningham was on the roster. So he took this job. He had this whole task of building this whole new team, essentially. But he promised that he would be competitive right away. And, and he's certainly done a ton of work in the transfer portal to make it look like that would be a possibility. One thing I think that's pretty important to think about is guys like Courtney Ramey, Jace Ferris, Andrew Jones, a lot of them have declared for the draft at that point and weren't 100% returning. And Chris Beard had a lot of work to do with those guys that were still like on the fence about staying or leaving. And he had to build those connections and he did. Let's go through some of the transfers he's gotten. He's really been attacking the transfer portal, built an almost entirely new roster. Like you mentioned, Matthew, he said it wasn't going to be a rebuild in his introductory press conference. A lot of people rolled their eyes at that, maybe didn't really totally believe that. He's really gone through the transfer portal and attacked it. So who are some of the key guys he's gotten through the transfer portal? What should Longhorns fans know about them? I'm mainly looking at some of the transfers he's gotten recently, like Trey Mitchell from UMass and Marcus Carr from Minnesota. I think those are guys who were who were stellar players at their previous spots and provide a lot of depth for this team in places that they needed it. Marcus Carr being a point guard, he averaged 19 points at Minnesota. His pairing along with Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones should be very solid. Last year, the theme was that Texas had experienced guards. I think that's still going to be the case this year with some of these additions. So I would look for some experienced guard play with with this team going forward still too. One other dude I think you need to take a look at next year is Timmy Allen. He's a 6'5", 200 pounds, small forward from Utah, averaged around 17 points all Pac-12 second team. And I think one thing about last year's Texas roster that you sort of thought the one thing they might be lacking in is a little bit of wing depth. Courtney Ramey was playing up and he was a really good defender, but he was guarding a lot of guys like Cade Cunningham. He was playing up. He's only 6'3". Now they have a real wing player who's probably going to start at the three for them in Timmy Allen, and he can definitely score a lot. I saw a stat and it was, I'm roughly paraphrasing this, but Chris Beard has gotten six of the top 30 or so transfers in the portal. Marcus Carr, obviously the guy from Minnesota, was the number one overall transfer that was in the portal. What do you think has been Chris Beard's message to these players? How has he been able to get so many high-level transfers to come to Texas for kind of their second opportunity in college basketball? I think a lot of transfers look at Texas and look at the new NIL rules and think, oh, this is an opportunity for me 
to get some cash, get the bag while I'm here and go to a bigger school to get that bag. I totally agree with that. I think that combines really nicely with like Chris Beard's sort of energetic go get him attitude. You know, he, he built a name for himself at Tech because he was doing a similar thing there, getting transfers to come in and, and play for him. So bringing that over to Texas, where it's a bigger brand, adding all the NIL stuff, it seems like it's kind of a no-brainer for a lot of these players who maybe weren't completely satisfied with where they were before. Now they get to go play for an energetic coach, a good situation, and make a lot of money too. There's so many new pieces on this team right there's only a few returners it's a lot of transfers let's kind of do a roster breakdown a little bit and let's kind of talk about who we think the starters are going to be maybe some of the the bench players let's just kind of say where everyone's kind of pegged in a little bit in terms of looking at the returning players i think andrew jones and courtney ramey you probably have to peg as starters just because of the experience of playing for texas they know they've been here you know they're not the new ones so I, w I would pencil them in. And then the rest of the lineup, you probably figure has to be made up of transfers. Probably maybe Marcus Carr, Trey Mitchell. Maybe you throw Christian Bishop there as a forward. I think Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey definitely will start. Jace Febres and Brock Cunningham will probably fulfill bench roles like they have been, and they would be reliable. But honestly, I feel like there's a lot of unknowns too with these transfers. Maybe he, he starts the season with these three transfers in the starting lineup, and then maybe it switches later in the season once guys sort of find their groove and find their spots. But I definitely feel like you can sort of pencil in Jones and Ramey for sure. The biggest question about uh, what Chris Beard's gonna do with like his starting, but really his closing lineup is whether he decides to play like the same thing that Shaka really went with it his last year, which is the three guard lineup. Carr is gonna start, like Matthew said, Jones and Ramey are really good candidates to start at the beginning, but I really wonder what he's gonna do. Trey Mitchell's probably gonna start at center. So really, it's the th three and four spots where he could plug in. There's Christian Bishop, Timmy Allen, and there's also like guys like Jace Febris and Rock Cunningham. Do you pick the third guard? And then if you do, who, who between Allen and Bishop do you pick? Or do you take Allen and Bishop or one of the other guys to sort of round out their roster? But definitely Marcus Carr, definitely Andrew Jones, and definitely Trey Mitchell at center. Do we think a guy like Courtney Ramey's a part of that closing lineup? I'd be very interested to see what Beard does uh, in that situation. Yeah, that would be interesting because it did seem like he sort of didn't play super well down the stretch last season at times. That maybe would be someone to follow as maybe he gets the nod at the beginning of the season because of his experience. But if some of these transfers come along and show that they know the system and can perform at a high level in crunch time, maybe that's a spot where you see that flip. I'm a big Courtney Ramey guy. Last year, Texas was at its best when Courtney Ramey was at its best. He was probably their best shooter. He was probably their best wing defender and handled the point guard position really well when Matt Coyman was struggling maybe a little at the start of the year. And so I think really this Texas team is gonna be at its best when Courtney Ramey picks up a lot of minutes. I'm not necessarily sure whether he's gonna start the entire year or close the entire year, but if Courtney Ramey is on, he's getting those like against Kansas when he shoots like five for eight, six for eight from three, this team is gonna be really, really good. And he's gonna be like sort of an X factor this year. I also wanna talk about Andrew Jones. Him coming back to the Longhorns, I think was some of the best news they've gotten all off season. Obviously a guy who's overcome so much adversity in his college career. He could have attempted to jump to the NBA, decided to come back to the Longhorns. How important and integral is he to the team's success? in Beard's first season. It's a huge get leadership-wise for Beard. Beard mentioned in his opening press conference that he wanted to talk to some of the guys that were still on the team to try and get some of them to stay. 
And so getting Andrew Jones, in addition to Courtney Ramey, is huge for that. Andrew Jones is a great leader. He provided great leadership last season. And so when you bring in this whole new roster of transfers, having someone so experienced has gone through a ton of adversity like that is going to be huge for developing this team and getting them ready to compete right away. Yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest thing about Andrew Jones is just like he puts the ball in the bucket. He scores a lot. And that's pretty much his elite trait. At worst, you're going to get Andrew Jones trying to create one-on-one, and that's not a terrible thing for the Chris Spirit offense. Both of y'all covered Texas basketball, as you mentioned, last season, Shaka Smart's last year. Talk about what you saw last season and how you think Chris Beard and Shaka Smart are differing as head coaches or will differ this year in the actual games. Some of the team stuff is still up in the air, whether Chris Beard will run his no middle defense, but the biggest difference you're gonna see between the two coaches is really in their offensive style. And so Chris Beard's run his entire career more of like a motion offense. And sort of Shaka towards his last couple of years at Texas leaned on this NBA style, like we're gonna spam pick and rolls at you. We're gonna give Matt Coleman the ball, run 20 pick and rolls a game. You're gonna see a lot of similarities between how they play on the court in some ways, but on offense is really the big difference. Well, explain the motion offense as compared with Shaka Smart's pick and roll style with Jericho Sims setting hard screens and, and then rolling to the basket. Explain that motion offense, what fans can expect. A lot more players touch the ball in the motion offense. There's a lot more passes in the motion offense, but I was talking to the Texas Tech Beak reporter last year for their school paper, and he was talking to me about how, you know, the ball really stuck in a way that it hasn't in past years for Chris Beard. And so Chris Beard offenses do try to run the motion offense, but there is a lot of stagnant play in Chris Beard's offense. You remember those frustrating possessions with Shaka's offense where it just seems like they weren't really moving the ball at all. There's a tendency for some of Chris Beard's teams to do that too, but really the motion offense is predicated on, oh, we're gonna try to break the other team down, not really using the pick and roll, but using a lot of ball movement, using a lot of dribble handoffs and like off the ball movement. Well, that could have also not been Beard's scheme that was necessarily making the ball stick. It also could have been because they had a guy, Mac McClung, who is a very ball-dominant player and can sometimes get caught in dribbling. But the fear you got to have as a Texas fan is Texas has some guys who are ball-dominant, i.e. Ramey. And if they aren't really running the offense, it could get very stagnant and very iso ball. So I think that's also something to look out for. Yeah, one thing that I know a lot of fans got frustrated with, like Nathan said, with Texas, was Shaka's offense kind of getting stagnated. And one thing that you hear said a lot about Beard's time at Tech, too, was that their offense isn't always a ton of fun to watch either. It's a lot more like physical and, and things. So it'll be interesting to see whether fans like this new style that, that Chris Beard brings or if it just breeds more frustration. But ultimately, I think what will win Texas fans over is if he wins some games, which Shaka wasn't able to do so much, unfortunately. Shaka, when he came over, known for the havoc defense, the full court press that he he championed at VCU. Nathan, you just mentioned the no middle defense. We don't know how much we'll see of it this year at Texas. Can you explain kind of the difference between havoc and no middle defense that fans could see? It's important to note that like Shaka didn't really use Havoc in his time at Texas. He used it a little, maybe with a three quarter court press, but really Havoc's just a full court press where you're trying to force turnovers with pressure to the ball. And the no middle defense is basically, if you watch Tech games and the guy who created it is actually the new head coach at Texas Tech, the whole system is based off, we're shutting off the paint, we're forcing the ball to the outside. And so sometimes you'll see a guy, he'll catch it at sort of like the three-point line, three-fourths of the way, 
and then the guy guarding him will be facing entirely towards the sideline. You're forcing people to the sideline and bringing all the help there and you're basically saying we're not allowing any buckets in the paint and Texas fans certainly know like they've had some really bad offensive games against the system. It's pretty frustrating but it also has its weaknesses. Who do you think is the player that was on the 2020 roster and is no longer on the team that Texas fans are going to miss the most? I feel like the answer is Zach Coleman, just because of the things he did for four years at Texas, like the game winners, the buzzer beaters, the amazing moments, the ball handling. I feel like Texas fans just naturally loved him just because of the effort he put in on the court too. So I feel like Matt Coleman's the easy answer, but that's what I'll go with. I was kind of leaning towards Matt Coleman too, but if you look at the big men, Jericho Sims and Kai Jones, those are going to be two losses that I, I feel like are felt because you could rely on them for production down low. I mean, I remember Texas started almost every game with a little pick and roll with Jericho for an easy dunk. And he was such a big guy who really grew into his frame later on into his career. If he had stayed, you know he would have been really dominant, both as a, a rim presence and defender too down low. I mean, that's going to be a loss that, that's felt for sure. So yeah, I would say Jericho Sims probably. Now who's the transfer new guy that's coming in or one of the freshmen in the signing class that you're most excited about watching in a Texas uniform? And let's take out Marcus Carr here because we've just discussed Marcus Carr. He was obviously the top transfer, probably the biggest get Chris Beard has gotten. So let's, other than Marcus Carr, who's the transfer you're most excited about? I'd like to see what the Kentucky transfer Devin Askew turns into. If I remember right, he was one of the top recruits in his class and went to Kentucky and then decided to transfer to Texas with Coach Beard. So it'll be interesting to see if he develops into an elite player, maybe not necessarily this year. But if you give him a year or two down the line, he could be a really exciting player to follow to see where his development goes. Yeah, one thing to know about Devonescu is he's also a point guard. He's 6'3", 180-ish, 190-ish. His biggest problem will be probably just getting minutes. But one guy I think will kind of make or break Texas this season is Trey Mitchell. Through some of the Shaka teams, like they've always had good defenses. And part of the reason is they've always had like very solid defensive bigs. And so Trey Mitchell will have to take on like He's going to play a lot of minutes at center. His defense will make or break the defensive team just because based off like how important centers are, how important room protection is in the league. I'm really excited to watch Trey Mitchell play because he's really, really talented, but I do think his defense will make or break the season in a way. Well, that was the big thing, like you talked about for Shaka Smart's rosters. It was always a, a big man, whether it was Jared Allen, Mo Bamba, Jackson Hayes, Jericho Sims even. All these guys who are so uber athletic, so great on the defensive side. The offensive game was partially lacking in a lot of these guys' games. Does Trey Mitchell, have you guys been able to see anything about him that would say he might be a better offensive big than what Texas fans have seen in the past? He transferred in from UMass. He's definitely played down some competition than he will in the Big 12, but he's had some amazing scoring games there, especially his rookie season where he, he just poured it on. Think about sh the Shaka bigs are, I feel like college basketball is a game where the guards really stand out, especially when it comes to tournament time. And it's really hard to impact the game when you're just like, you might be a big with a huge upside, like some of the guys we've seen come through Texas, but you're not touching the ball every possession. You're really reliant on the guards to sort of run the offense through you. A lot of these Texas bigs have made their money playing defense and showing their athleticism there. But with Trey Mitchell, he's got the ability to put the ball in the bucket a lot. With this roster of guards that they have again, I don't see them running the ball through the post through him a ton. And so defense is really 
where he's going to make his money. What's the biggest challenge that you foresee for Texas this season? I think the biggest challenge for them is going to be blocking out all of the noise of Chris Beard's initial season. You know, Chris Beard has brought a lot of attention to this program himself with things that he's said about being competitive year one and things like that. So I think the biggest challenge for this team is going to be blocking out all the expectations, all the media hype, and just really trying to become the best team that they can. Because they're going to go into the season with like a top five ranking and expectations to make the final four when Texas hasn't done that for a while. So if you let that get to your head, then I think we might end up seeing a similar result as we did this past year when Texas had a stellar team and then flamed out pretty early in the NCAA tournament. The biggest thing will definitely be focusing on developing as a team, especially with all these new guys, so they don't get derailed so easily. For sure. It's a good problem to have, but just finding minutes for everybody and sort of meshing together as a team will be a big problem. The real test for them is gonna be like their first embarrassing loss, their first upset loss of the season, their first time where they really struggle, where the whole team doesn't shoot well, even though they might get good shots and they lose an embarrassing game. That's really when you're gonna, this team's chemistry is gonna be tested. There are gonna be guys that are mad that they probably could have impacted the game, but they didn't get a lot of minutes in that game. And so that's really the first test of how well Beard is gonna handle this locker room after a tough loss and how well these players are gonna react to a tough loss. So they're gonna be playing Tennessee who former Texas head coach Rick Barnes is leading Tennessee right now. That could be a potential game where they could be tested and could just get beaten because Tennessee's a better team. That'll be a, a game where their chemistry will be put to the test. Also Gonzaga, like you talked about, Nathan, last year's national runner-ups. That'll be a crazy game between two top five teams. What are you guys most excited for this season, whether it be games or just roster development, things of that nature? I would say roster development for sure, just because with this whole new era of the transfer portal and sort of Chris Beard taking that to like a whole new level of extreme this season, I think it'll be really interesting to see whether he can literally piece together a whole team in one off season and make it work right away. He's brought in one or two guys each year at Tech and they've been solid contributors, but like this is essentially a whole new team, minus two guys, two or three guys. So I'll be really excited to see whether that can piece together and gel right away or whether it takes a year or two to really get going. I'm just gonna be honest, winning is the thing I'm looking forward to the most. I'm probably more of a basketball guy than a football guy, but over the past 10 years, it's been kind of rough for Texas basketball, those last Rick Barnes years, and these Shockers years have been a little dry. This is a top five team, projected top five. The highest the Shocker team got was last year at four, and we all know what happened to that team. So I'm really excited to see, like I do think they have final four potential. I do think they are a top 10 team, at least in college basketball. And so I'm excited to see some wins. You think they have Final Four potential. Let's give some predictions here very early, but let's come back and look at these after the season, see how off we were. Let's all go around and say where we think this team is going to end up at the end of the season. Yeah, I'll just go Sweet 16 bid and they'll lose out. Win the Big 12? I'll say win the Big 12. I feel like the talent isn't as steep as it was last year. I think I might, I might go the opposite. I'm gonna say not win the Big 12, but we'll make it to the Final Four. I think Beard's, Beard's made it there before. He seems determined enough. He's put in the work. If they can gel, I'm gonna go ahead and say they're gonna make a Final Four. I'm gonna go second to third in Big 12 and Elite Eight. 
So, me and Matthew are both going there, not going to win the Big 12, but it might give him some motivation in the tournament. We got him going a little bit farther in the tournament than Nathan does. But, I mean, when's the last time the Longhorns even got into the Sweet 16? I mean, this is pretty lofty expectations right. for Chris Beard coming in in his first year. This is one thing I want to talk to you all about. What do you think is going to be the one big thing if Chris Beard is going to increase attendance from students at games to, like, not football levels, but just to, like, a sort of respectable level? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's so hard because they're playing in the drum and it's it's such a far walk for like students to physically get over there. And it's an old facility. I don't really know what they can try to do to increase that. I think they're gonna have to get like really creative. I don't know whether it's giveaways or promotions or something. I think the new, the new arena will definitely help, but he set this lofty goal of wanting to increase student attendance, which at times has been very much lackluster. So it'll be interesting to see whether that actually happens. Yeah, everyone talks about pack the drum all the time. I don't remember the last time the drum's been packed in its history. Part of it, yes, is that there's poor student attendance at these games. But the other problem is that the drum is huge. I mean, I don't know how many seats it's got somewhere over 25,000. It's really just about making the arena smaller and more compact. And I think what Beard needs to do is in these first few years, He's got to show marked improvement, right? He's got to show that this team is a legitimate NCAA tournament March Madness team. Shaka Smart, you know, was oftentimes in the NIT, was not fighting. They were on the bubble a lot. So Chris Beard's got to say, hey, we're going to be in March Madness every year. He's got to be competing in the Big 12, build up some more fan interaction and, and fan loyalty that's been lacking. And then once they move to the Moody Center, it's going to be much smaller, much more condensed. And that's when you really, I think, make the push for, okay, let's pack it and let's try to sell this thing out. And also Vic Schaefer is another guy, the women's basketball coach. He's a guy that, that takes fan engagement very seriously. So both these coaches, I think, are going to put a big emphasis on getting students out to games. But at the end of the day, they both fight an uphill battle because this is a football first school. Always has been, it always will be. Fans just get more juiced for the fall and Saturdays in Austin, Texas. For a very long time, the Texas basketball hype train has not been there for a lot of external factors. It's a lot of just not winning as much. Uh, it's a lot, they don't have as good of a tradition. People in Texas just don't necessarily care about basketball as much as football and that the arena's massive and also kind of an eyesore. So the, it'll be good for them to get to the Moody Center. Yeah, I think another thing that'll go a long way for that is scheduling too. I know Beard has said he wants to schedule the best teams. So getting some marquee teams to come here and get the fans a little bit more juiced will go a long way in getting people to come as well. We're recording this the day after this news broke that Texas and Oklahoma have put in bids for the SEC, have reached out to the Southeastern Conference and said, hey, we're looking to join. Of course, this would mean the SEC has 16 teams now, be a mega conference. Everyone's right now talking about what it means for football because obviously that's the biggest revenue generating sport and SEC is known for football with, you know, Alabama, LSU, teams like that. Let's talk about it from a basketball perspective. If Texas and OU go to the SEC, what does this mean for the future of college basketball and how does this affect conference realignment? So if you're looking at just specifically basketball, a move from the Big 12 to the SEC might be a slight step down, 
But that's not to say that the SEC is horrible. I mean, you've got Kentucky, Auburn, Alabama have all taken steps in recent years, Tennessee with Rick Barnes. So it would create a lot of interesting matchups, but you'd be leaving Kansas, you'd be leaving Tech and Baylor and all these other schools, Oklahoma State, that you've kind of built up basketball rivalries almost with, not so much on the football field, but in basketball. So you would sort of leave those behind and go play these schools that you have never really traditionally played in basketball. So it would be interesting for sure, but it it would probably be a slight step down for basketball at least. One thing I kind of liked about the Big 12 schedule that they had set up is they play every game with a home and home. You see a team, like you go to Allen Fieldhouse and you upset them early in the year with a 30 point, like the biggest win in school history. And then you have to see them at home later in the year. And that's a big thing that I always liked. And obviously, if the move does pan out, there's going to be 16 teams. And so that's not really going to be possible in like a 29-game season. That's just one thing to keep in mind. I do think the Big 12 was a significant step ahead. And Matthew's definitely right about the rivalries. But I think the move is more for football and baseball. The move is more for football and baseball. But also, I mean, the, the big thing about this is this isn't just like... Texas, Oklahoma moved to the SEC and we still have got a Power 5 conference. I mean, this is going to change the shape of the Power 5 conferences. Let's do some hypotheticals here. Like, what is the Power 5 landscape even looking like for basketball? I think the Big 12 definitely collapses in this scenario because you're losing Texas and Oklahoma. Those are like the top two premier programs in the Big 12. Even if you get two or three other schools they're not gonna add the same value that Texas and Oklahoma did. So there's no way they're gonna be able to compete with the other Power Five conferences for revenue. So I, w- I would see like a total collapse. I figure Kansas would probably be a lock for the Big 10 just as a basketball power, maybe Iowa State too. But then like these Baylors, TCUs, Texas Techs, they'd probably get swallowed up by like the American or some other group of five conference. Maybe the Pac-12 tries to expand a little bit and take them, but I don't foresee the Big 12 surviving if Texas and Oklahoma leave. I'm curious to hear Carter's thoughts on this, but I think the Big 12 will try to hang on for a couple of years, maybe, because they, ha- they have some time to prepare for this. And Houston is a good, really good basketball school, and they could try to snag a couple of these like other Texas teams to add on. But I do think the writing's on the wall, like P5 is going to become P3, P2, even smaller. And I don't think it's long for the Big 12 if this move does happen, which there's a good chance it won't. If the move for the Big 12 is, okay, guys, OU and Texas are leaving, we got to scoop up Houston and SMU, that's signing your death certificate right there. You can't compare Texas and OU, the reach they have, the money they generate with adding mid-tier programs in sports at least, like SMU and Houston. That would not work out for the Big 12. They would have to fold. What I really think this is going to is power three. The Pac-12 has been so far behind in revenue generation for a decade almost. Their regional sports networks don't generate near the revenue that Big Ten or SEC does. So they're always at a disadvantage, and they have been, in terms of making the college football playoff or even competing, paying their coaches. I think the Pac-12 at this point is the next domino to fall if this does happen for Texas and OU. So I can see Big 12, Pac-12 being shut down basically and we're going to go big 10 sec and acc and just have three 16 20 team mega conferences with some pods in there like you talked about nathan football and baseball are obviously going to take a big step up in in competition and game day atmosphere because the big 12 football conferences 
um, you got some snoozers in there. But I think basketball would definitely take a step back because, you know, the SEC has always just prided themselves on football, baseball, and stuff like that. So you're definitely going to lose some basketball competitiveness and some basketball atmosphere. But I think this is the way of the future, and I think you're going to see three power conferences with some pods in there, and it's going to change everything. I think this is the first domino to fall. So where would you see some of these Pac-12 schools playing then if the Pac-12 is going to collapse? If you were the Pac-12, would you maybe consider going after the rest of these Big 12 teams to try and form their own sort of super conference to try and compete? That's what you have to do. I mean, you have to scoop up Oklahoma State. You got to scoop up Texas Tech. You got to get every solid team from the Big 12 because it's your only hope of surviving. You're already at a disadvantage like I talked about. So the only way to make it so you don't get swallowed up is you've got to expand rapidly. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, maybe you go for TCU and Baylor. These are these are teams you got to get if you're if you're Pac-12. I'm so glad that we have Twitter this time around for realignment 2.0. All this drama is just going to provide so much wonderful content on the internet. So I'm here for that. Oh yeah, Twitter has been on fire in the past 24 hours. Everyone's dropping banger tweets. It's chaos. It is chaos right now in college sports. And I know everyone's talking about football, but you know we're giving you a basketball spin right here because we're talking Texas basketball. Well, this has been Texan Overtime, a production of the Daily Texan Sports and Audio Departments. This episode was made with the help of sports staffers Nathan Hahn and Matthew Bonkowski, and audio staffers Lainey Steinhardt, Manny Ramirez, and Stephanie Molina. Produced by associate audio editor Carly Rose. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked this episode, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Texan on your streaming platform of choice. Follow us on Twitter at Texan Sports and at Texan Audio. And check us out at thedailytexan.com. I'm sports editor Carter Yates. Thanks for listening.